May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Tired of working the same old job? Ready to give up that nasty commute to, to work? Want to be your own boss? Need extra income? Well, fret no more, because now you can make big money selling fake art on eBay. It's okay, eBay doesn't care. You say you know nothing about art? No problem. The morons who will be bidding on your fakes don't know anything either. (laughs) But unlike you, they think they do, which makes bilking them out of hundreds, thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars per fake virtually effortless. Yes, committing felonies and misdemeanors has never been easier. Uh, Fake Chagall, Picasso, Warhol, Dali, Moreau, uh, Haring, Van Gogh, take your pick. They say crime doesn't pay. Well, crime is okay on eBay. But nobody's that stupid, you're thinking. Well, guess again. In the old days, experts on stupidity used to believe that a sucker was born every minute. That was before eBay. Now researchers into imbecilic behavior go onto eBay, watch real bozos get ripped off all day long, count them up, and easily verify that more than one sucker is born every minute. So, are you ready to flaunt the law and ascend to the next tax bracket? Of course you are. So let's get started. And this is how artbusiness.com launches into its business section on selling fake art. Oh, you say, it's all tongue-in-cheek. Of course it is. And I knew you got it right away. You're really not going to sell fake art on eBay, are you? Of course you're not. But this is what they say. And I got to thinking as I looked at that, how would you know the difference? I mean, if you were on eBay and you saw a Picasso for $500 or $1,000, I mean, would you bid on it? Would you think, oh, this is my chance? Or better yet, your neighbor rings you up says, you know, I bought this house and, um, and uh, we're, we're in a bit of debt and, and I was in the attic the other day and I discovered a Van Gogh original. And, and it's, it's worth, the, the, the curator tells me at the museum, it's worth $20 million. But if for you, in this one-time offer, I'm willing to sell it to you for $20,000. I mean, imagine your neighbor calls you up and says that to you. What would you say? Well, you'd say what I'd say, right? Oh, nice try, buddy. Talk to you later, and you'd hang up the phone. You know, if I did that, about an hour later, I'd get a call from Frank Youngworth saying, Joe, you're not going to believe what happened. I just bought a piece of art worth $20 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a chance of a lifetime. It's right there. The only thing is you don't know whether it's real. Could you tell? I don't think I could. I wouldn't know what to look for. What about, what about in a preacher? Can you tell? I mean, can you tell the difference between the real and the, pho- the, the phonies? Can you tell the real between the authentic and the fake? Suppose, suppose instead of soul and chastable this morning, your preacher showed up wearing camel skin. No, I'm not talking about one of those nice button-down jackets from Saks, you know, the light tan. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about one that looked like it might have been on a camel two days ago, you know? Still got the humps in the back, you know? He's got it tied around his waist with a a leather belt, you know, kind of in a knot. Uh, Guy's got a big beard. Not just your... You're, not just your no-shave November beard, you know. I, I don't know if you know that. On, on college campuses all over, it's no-shave November last month, and everybody has a little contest to see who grows the, the, the most facial hair. 
I've never asked if the ladies do it, but it, the guys do. You know, they grow these big giant beards. Um, not just like that, but a beard like the guy hasn't shaved maybe for a year. You know, he's got this camel-wrapping animal hide, a leather belt, a big giant beard. He's got kind of sticky stuff in his beard. Looks like he's been eating honey. A couple little insect legs sticking out of his teeth. And he's preaching a sermon. Here's the thing. The guy doesn't do this in a church. He's out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. And people are going out there to hear him. I mean, maybe it's a novelty thing, right? Everybody likes the novelty, the kind of eccentric prophet, you know, the ironic priest, whatever. They're, they're going out to see this. And, and so maybe they're, they're going out there just to, to see what's going on. I could see the newscasters there. You could see them, couldn't you? You know, Katie Kirk doing the interview. So, Mr. Baptist, you know, why are these people coming to hear you? What newspapers do you read? These sorts of things, you know, she's asking him. I, I thought that was clever, but you'll have to give back to a former interview to catch that one. And she's asking him all these questions, and, um, and, and maybe he's answering them, maybe he's not. He's got this kind of wild-eyed look. He's very eccentric. But just for kicks and grins, just because we're interested, let's just listen to his sermon. It's a short one. I mean, this might be, might be your, uh, your test of authenticity. It's a short sermon. It goes like this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not even an amen. That's it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent is a command. If you did a little grammatical look at this, um, it's interesting in the, the language that the New Testament is written in. You can see the, the type of, uh, of speech. You can see how the, the word works uh, syntactically in the sentence. It's an imperative. Repent. It's, it's, a, it's a, the way a police officer might say, stop. You know, there's not a question involved in that, is there? It's the way a mother says to her children, go clean that room. You know, this isn't a time for discussion. This isn't about up for debate. This is, this is a command. And, and here's the command that this wild-eyed preacher gives. Repent. The original word is metanaeo. Metanaeo. It, it comes as a compound word. Meta means uh, after. And naeo is to think. So sort of to have an afterthought. We would say, change your mind. Repent is change your mind. Think a different way. And that's not very hard to do, is it? Anybody can, anybody can change their minds. <laughs> right, dear? Anybody can change their mind. Uh, I hear it's even the prerogative of a, uh, a particular gender has, you know, to change their mind whenever they would like. It's not hard to change your mind. But it is, isn't it? It is hard to change your mind and to say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. The Hebrew word means, means to turn around. The, the word that John probably used, the one that actually came out of his mouth, not the one that Matthew translated for us into Greek and now into English, the one that actually came out of his mouth in Hebrew, shu. It means literally in a kind of picturesque way to be walking one direction and to turn around and go in 180 degrees the opposite direction. John's saying, stop. Turn around and go the other way. Repent. It's so hard to say, I was wrong. I mean, have you been with a guy and he doesn't know where he is and he's driving? 
I mean, have you ever tried to get that man to stop and ask for directions, you know? It's impossible, isn't it? I believe that women invented GPS just so that their husbands would say, okay, uh, I'll turn it on and, and see where we go. You know, we don't want to stop and ask directions. We don't want to admit that we're wrong. I've been going the wrong way. I need to turn around. You know, um, it happens between couples. Not arguments, but intense negotiations, right? Where one of you has to say, I was wrong. It happens all the time where people need only to say, I'm going the wrong direction. Stop. Turn around. This is what John is saying. Repent. But um, what were they doing wrong? What were these people doing that was so wrong? I mean, think about those who were going out in the wilderness to see him. They weren't um, bank robbers. They weren't uh, violent criminals. It wasn't like they were saying, oh, I hear there's a pardon out there, you know. I'm going to get out of jail free. That wasn't it at all. In fact, John says there were many of the religious types who were kind of, you know, religious professionals even who showed up out there, Sadducees and Pharisees, people who were on the complete opposite end of a political spectrum, but who were very religious in the same way. John says, or or, uh, Matthew says, these people were also going out there. What were they doing wrong? Probably not much. I think the key, though, in understanding this is what he says next. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand. It's upon us. The kingdom of heaven is upon us. Now, I know when we hear that, many of us are thinking heaven and golden streets and, and uh, you know, pearly gates and St. Peter at the door. No, no, not that at all. Uh, Matthew is using this old Jewish technique of, of saying God without saying God. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like saying the kingdom controlled by the one who's in control of heaven. Uh, we do this a little bit. We say the White House said today. Uh, the White House never says anything, right? But by saying that, we know what that means. That means that the person who lives in the White House has issued some sort of statement. The kingdom of heaven is Matthew's way of saying, God is about to show up. And it's a deeply political message. God is coming, and He's coming in a political way. It's a kingdom. I've said this many times, and so it's, it's, it's old, old news to you in a way. But for people living in first century Israel... This was a very difficult time to be alive. Very difficult time to be a member of the nation of Israel. They were under heavy oppression by the Romans. Taxes, um, you know, uh, government uh, takeover, uh, laws that were imposed upon them without their, their will. Their, their whole religious system was threatened. It was during the time it was called the Pax Romana. But as one historian said, the Pax Romana was when Rome went in and destroyed everything and called it peace. Look, there's no more warfare here. They create a desert, the historian said, and they call it peace. Living in Israel this time, very difficult. John says, repent. God is about to show up and he's about to rescue the nation. He's about to rescue the nation. Let's put this all together. Repent, because God is about to show up and save the country. Well, okay, well, repent of what? Well, I think the things that are obvious. The sins of commission. The type of same sins that are around today. No, not bank robbing, perhaps. But sins like selfishness and pride. Sins like being unsatisfied with the blessings that we have and wanting what we don't. 
Sins like greed and lust and anger and violence. Well, all the things that we listed just a bit ago in the Ten Commandments. These sorts of things were present in their community just like they're present in ours. And the message of John the Baptist is this. God is about to show up. Repent. Turn away from these sorts of things. But he also has an even stricter message for those who are part of the religious establishment. It's against sins of pretense. These Sadducees and Pharisees who think for themselves that they have a a great history, that they can rely upon that history, that they're religious people. Listen to what he says in the the passage in verse 7. When he, that is John the Baptist, saw many of the Sadducees and Pharisees coming, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. Most of the people came, make your confession, be baptized, you're clean. God's on his way, get ready. But for these, that's not enough. Don't come here and think that you can go through a ritual, John says. It's not about going through this ritual. It's about having internally this real spirit of repentance. This desire to say no more of that way. I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going in a different direction. Because real repentance results in a changed life. Fruit grows off of that tree. Fruits of goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control and patience. Kind words. Forgiveness. This is what comes out when someone has a real spirit of repentance. It's not about a ritual. It's about a relationship that changes your life. Well, my friends, it's almost Christmas, isn't it? Three weeks. I know you've looked out the window. It is absolutely gorgeous, isn't it? Oh, yes. Woke up this morning and saw the snow. Thrilled. Some of you were like... No! Wake up and say, isn't that beautiful? And, and, and probably this week, maybe, maybe it's already happened, but if not, maybe this week, a friend's going to say to you, so, and you, what, you know what they're going to say, don't you? Are you ready for Christmas? They're going to say it, aren't they? I know they are. I'm probably going to say it to you. And, and, and you know what's in that question, don't you? Um, have, you um, have you got the house ready? Are the decorations up? In our case, no. Have you, um, ha- have you gone to the mall and, and started buying stuff and, and put away presents? Uh, are they wrapped? Are the presents all wrapped yet? Um, have you made the cookies? Uh, are, are, you, are you getting all the stuff ready? Are, are the parties on the schedule? Are you ready for Christmas? That's what we mean when we say that question, isn't it? And John the Baptist shows up this morning. And he has a different, well, he has the same question. But it's a different meaning. Are you ready for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to arrive? And somehow I don't think he's talking about sugar cookies, even if you make them with honey and insect legs. I don't think he means that at all. In fact, if John the Baptist showed up this morning and said, Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to arrive? Well, I think he'd have something completely different in mind. Don't you? Amen.